my dog died recently, and it's been it's been pretty terrible. Uh, I've I've cried about two and a half times this week, and it's been about three months now, and it just feels like a part of me is missing. Uh, and um, you know, I think a lot of people thought that when we had our baby, who's back there in the back with my dad, that 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 would kind of be a replacement for me. And in some ways, it's made it worse because it's like these two were supposed to know each other, um, and. Uh, they were supposed to be friends, and Roy was supposed to be in these baby pictures, and it's all uh, kind of messed up. And uh, one of the things that brought me to to some of those tears this week is I saw, this is going to make me sound like a crazy uh, dog person, but uh, I saw this this commercial for uh, dog food, and and the premise of the commercial it was that uh, when dogs turn seven years old then they have some chemical in their brain that starts to not be released as much, and then, I don't know, they get stupid or something like that. And, uh, and, and here's what bothered me about the commercial. Uh, the, the food that it's advertising, I would never have bought for Roy. Like, Roy was on good dog food, actually, and, and Roy was on, like, the most expensive dog food we could possibly buy. I never would have purchased this dog food for him. And so then this thought came across my mind, like, wait a minute. People who feed their dog food, this dog food to their dogs, have seven-year-old dogs, and my dog only lived to be six years old. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's stupid to me. It makes me kind of angry, to be honest with you, that my dog's dead, and you feed this dog food to your dog, and your dog's still living. Your dog should be dead, too. I didn't quite go that far, but I mean, that's kind of how I I felt. You can tell my passion uh, in that. And and this is what we know, and it's what's demonstrated, and, and my dog being dead and other people's dogs not being dead and that it's that life's not fair I was talking to my new friend Matt who's sitting out there somewhere uh little guy and and Matt said that last night his brother his brother actually told me he got he got ice cream his brother got ice cream and he didn't get ice cream and so from the time we're really little we know this battle cry right it's not fair Right? You know that. You've said it before and your parents say, like, life's not fair. And, and it seems like this is what happens. You have kind of two choices. Either you kind of go along life, correct me if I'm wrong later, hopefully, but, but you kind of go along life and you, you, you maintain a sense of there, there should be some level of fairness, or you become very cynical and very pessimistic, which is what we're trying to kind of fight against. Right? Either you become this person that's like, Yeah, life's not fair, so I might as well stop trying. You know, I mean, you kind of get that mentality and you're that guy and everybody knows, like, they're a pessimist and they know life's not fair. Or you kind of go through life going, man, this is unfair and it should be fair and it doesn't seem right that, that this has happened and that that didn't happen and that I, you know, get this and that they don't and, and all that stuff. And, uh, Clay Walker, country singer, um, in a song called Just a Few Questions, I think he summed it up really well if you like country music or not. He says this, uh, how in this world can we put a man on the moon and still have a need for a place like St. Jude's? And why is one man born in a place where all they know is war and a guy like me has always been free? And how can two people who've built a loving home try for years and never have a child of their own and somewhere out there tonight there's a baby no one's holding tight in need of love? To me, that don't add up. And why did my cousin have to die in that crash a good kid only 17 I still wonder about that it seems unfair to me some get the chance to chase their dreams and some don't but what do I know 
Isn't that, I mean, you don't probably stop and have that conversation with God every day, but don't you on some core level feel that? Like, why them and not me? Or why me and not them, depending on what you're talking about? Why my brother or my cousin or my sister or my daughter or my wife and not somebody else's? Because they're kind of jerks and it just, it doesn't seem to add up. It, it, it actually seems pretty unfair. It seems unfair. And we've talked about, I've said kind of these, these kind of very evil things in the series, uh, like uh, abductions and school shootings and natural disasters and bombings and diseases and threats of running out of fuel and global warming and all these things that, that I think make us feel pessimistic. We worry about them and we're scared about them. And, and I think on, on some level, one of the things that, that's so scary about them is that they're not fair. They're not fair. It's not like only bad people go to a movie theater and get shot. It's not like only bad kids get abducted. I mean, it's not like only people who are jerks get cancer. It's like it could be, and this is, I think, in, in all of us, it's like it could be me that gets it because, or gets shot or, uh, or dies for no reason or whatever, and it could be me because, because we know, we know and we don't like that life just isn't that fair. It's not fair. And a big part of this, I said on the flip side of my notes, but I'm not sure it's on the flip side, just part of it is that we oftentimes see bad people, whatever you label as bad people, bad people really being successful in life. Like people that are jerks and they cheat and they lie and they steal and people even that murder or cause death and we look at them and we go, they're successful and here I am trying to live a good life, be a nice person, do good things, and I'm not. I can't get ahead in life. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. It's not fair. It's not fair. Life is not fair. I mean, let's just get specific. It's like, why did I get cancer? Why me? I know this other person who eats badly and they're not that nice and they didn't get it, but I did. Why me? Or, or like, why can't I get a job? Pretty normal person, my resume looks pretty good, I'm nice to people, and I can't get a job. Why did my child suffer? Man, I know this guy from Starbucks, and he used to work at the Fun Center with my in-laws. He's 35 years old, and, and uh, he's been in a wheelchair his whole life. He was the March of Dimes baby, one problem after another health-wise, and he's, he's just about to die. Uh, I visited the other day, and, and I sat with his mom, and, and she didn't have this attitude, but in my heart, I want to look at her and be like, why you? You know, why have you struggled through this? Why are you going to watch your son die? Why have you dealt with him in a wheelchair and, and having all kinds of physical struggles his whole life? You seem like a pretty nice person. You seem pretty cool. You're a Christian. You, you, you seem like you were... a a really good mom. I mean, she's staying there and, and she said, I promised him I'd be there when he breathed his last breath. And so the woman's like not sleeping. It's like, why is this happening to her when there's terrible moms in the world that it should be happening to, you know? I mean, they deserve it and she doesn't. Why did my loved one die? Why did my husband or my wife leave me? One guy commenting online, um, you know you're down when you're putting comments like this online, but he said, I see my ex-girlfriend who cheated on me and betrayed me, experiencing all the good things, such as a good job, new boyfriend, and happening life. On the other hand, life hasn't been kind to me in spite of being the good person, doing good things, and working hard. All my efforts of finding happiness and achieving my goals are just going in vain. 
And he sums up what a lot of us feel. Why did my cheating ex-girlfriend succeed and here I am without a job and, and no spouse and things aren't working, you know? And we go down this line and we just look and we go, it's not fair and it makes us pessimistic. And this book, Habakkuk, is one of the most brilliant books in the Bible because, because Habakkuk really just looks at God and he goes, this is not fair. I mean, Habakkuk, not just like, kind of like, hey, God, not fair. Like, you can just picture him waving his finger at God and going, this is not fair, and you are going to give me an answer. This is not fair, and I am demanding that you tell me why you're allowing for it to go on the way that it's going on. Let me just set the scene as I've done in all these uh, minor prophets because it's important to understand the book, to understand why the book is being written, what's actually taking place, and, and really what's taking place is that it's not fair for the, the nation of Israel, specifically the southern kingdom of Judah. And so what's happened is, is that the Assyrian Empire, and we, start, we talked about this last week, how God, God said it's going to happen, but the Assyrian Empire has now been depleted and, and really defeated. And the Egyptians had come in and killed a good king in Israel. His name was Josiah. A lot of Christian babies, boys get the name Josiah because he was a good king in the midst of a lot of bad kings in Israel. And, and, and the king of Egypt, the people of Egypt, another empire besides the Assyrian, come in and they, they kill Josiah. And the nation of Israel is left with, with a bad king, his son, a guy that doesn't follow the ways of God. And now the Babylonians, also the Chaldeans, that's synonymous in the Bible. The Chaldeans, the Neo-Babylonians, as history has kind of called them, have come on the scene and they've taken out Egypt and they're about to take over the world once again. And involved in this is a guy named Nebuchadnezzar who you've heard of before probably. Nebuchadnezzar is kind of the big king that really makes this happen because he beats up the Egyptians and he is about to go into Israel and and take over the Israelites too. And, and here in the midst, before the Israelites are, are kind of taken over and sent into exile, the kids down the hall are learning about a guy named Daniel today who would really, who would really be kind of at the center of what Habakkuk says is going to happen. Uh, and, and, and right in the middle of it, while they're taking power, they beat up the Egyptians, and before they're going to destroy the Israelites and take over Jerusalem, Here's this guy named Habakkuk sitting there in Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, living his life, and he's kind of looking around, and he's going, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem fair. So the book begins, the prophecy that Habakkuk, uh, the prophet, received. Pretty unexciting beginning. But the, the name Habakkuk, I think this is important, means to embrace. And some people translate it as as to wrestle or the wrestler. And uh, Jerome in the early church, one of the early church patriarchs saw it that way. And, and another author said this, it is not unfitting for, this little, for in this little book we see a man in deadly earnest wrestling with the mighty problem of theodicy, the divine justice in a, in a topsy-turvy world. Habakkuk is this book about wrestling with like why bad things are happen happening when God is good and how can God look down and just be unfair? How can God be unfair? And this is what Habakkuk says in the midst of all this when he's looking at his nation and going, we're kind of sitting here in the middle of all these kingdoms and they're succeeding and we're not and my people aren't really living for God in this country but God doesn't seem to care about that. Here's what he says. How long, Lord, must I call for help but you do not listen? 
or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk looks around and he says exactly what you want to say. He's like, there are people who are living for you and they seem to be losing in this life. And there are people who are not living for you and they seem to be winning in this life. Now I said that Josiah was a good king. His his son had come in and been a bad king. What a bad king really did is a bad king said, let's worship these false gods. And so all around Habakkuk in his nation, this nation that had served the real God, Yahweh, the true God, the God of the Bible, all around him are these people who are just rejecting outright the real living God that we know and we serve as Christians. And those people are succeeding. They aren't being obedient to his commands, and that's why he says your laws are paralyzed. It's like people are going, wait, why would I follow the laws of God when it seems better not to follow the laws of God? Why would I do what God has told me to do when people that are successful in life are not doing the things that God has told them to do? They're doing the opposite things. Isn't that how you feel? Isn't that it? Like, well, if I just break this thing that God has kind of told me to do, then I'll be more successful. So what's the point in following it? What's the point in not telling this lie? Because it will make me more successful if I do. What is the point of not being just a little bit of a jerk and pushing somebody down in this part of my job? Because if I do, I'll be more successful. It's like, God, this doesn't seem fair. If I do right, I go down. And if I do wrong, then I go up. What, is, what are you doing? Do you not even notice? And if we were spiritually minded as Habakkuk and had been praying and seeking God in this area, we might cry out what he cries out. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Why are you allowing the wicked to be successful while those who serve you are being torn down? I'm gonna quote Michael Jackson now just to get some street cred back because I quoted a country singer and Michael Jackson has a song uh, called Earth Song and it seems to be directed at God and you might pick that up in one of these lines where he says, uh, you sent your son, but, but notice, here's what he says, here's what he says. Do you ever stop to notice all the blood we've shed? Do you ever stop to notice the crying earth, the weeping shores? What about all the peace that you pledge your only son? Did you ever stop to notice all the children dead from war? Did you ever stop to notice the crying earth, the weeping shores? What about us? Now, in, in the midst of these, these next lines, it's either what about us or what about it every time. And I think that kind of gets to the heart of, of what we kind of feel, you know? I mean, we don't really care that, that people are dying in war. What we really care about is like, what about me, God? Do you not care about me? It's not fair. And, and here's, here's kind of what, what it said. Hey, what about yesterday? What about us? What about nature's worth? What about animals? What about the holy land? What about the common man? What about children dying? Can't you hear them cry? What about babies? What about the crying man? What about death again? Is that how we feel? And that's what Habakkuk is saying. Like, hey God, are you paying attention to this? Hey God, I'm praying. I'm asking you to do something about the injustice that I see and you're not. So apparently you haven't noticed what's going on down here. And God answers. 
And I think it's important just to say that God answers because it means that God's paying attention. He says this in 1.6, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. Now this is the worst answer in the world. I mean, it's an answer. Back, it has to feel good about that, but it is quite obviously the worst answer ever given by God, maybe by any person ever. It's just a terrible answer. It's basically like this. It's basically like Christians going, hey, God, we're looking around the United States of America, and we see that a lot of people aren't living for you, yet they seem really successful, and it seems like Christianity is being torn down, even though you know the real Christians in this country are trying to live for you. And God said, oh, wait, wait, no, no, I'm paying attention. I'm going to send ISIS in here. I'm going to send ISIS in here, and they're going to take over the country. (laughs) That's a terrible answer. That's uncomfortable to say, right? I mean, we feel uncomfortable about that, because if that was real, that would be bad. And this this is, I don't even think, it's like it is an analogy, but it's almost exactly what God is saying to Habakkuk about his country. I'm going to send the most ruthless people that you can think of that are, that are your most bitter enemy, that are against what you stand for in your faith, that's who I'm going to send against you. And don't worry, I've noticed all the things going on down there in your country, how evil people are succeeding. So here's my plan. ISIS is gonna come in. The Babylonians are gonna come in and they'll take over. And I'll just like to point out that this is exactly what happens Habakkuk doesn't know that, but the Chaldeans in about 597 uh, really have taken over Jerusalem and they sweep through in a couple of different periods and they destroy the city of Jerusalem, kind of the heart of the Israelite nation, and, and they take these captives, one of which is Daniel, who you can read about in the book of Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and they're taken out of their land and they're taken into the Babylonians area where Nebuchadnezzar rules and reigns and doesn't follow God. And Habakkuk doesn't accept the answer, thankfully, because he's, I mean, how could you accept that answer? Like, wait, there's injustice in our country, God. Oh, but here's my plan. I'll send the most evil nation in and they'll take over. And so Habakkuk looks up at God and says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate this treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I mean, the logical question is just a simple question. Hey, God, I understand, and that's a big part of Habakkuk, looking at God and like, hey, God, you're good, and you're great, and you're never-ending, and you know. That's a big part of the reason that Habakkuk has the courage and the, the wherewithal to, to actually a- ask these questions. But he looks up at God, he's like, hey, I, I get that you are all-knowing and all-powerful, and you'll never end. And so here's my question. How can you use that which is more evil to punish that which is less evil? How can that happen? You're going to take the most evil thing that I can think of and you're going to use them against me, against my nation, which kind of likes you. I mean, we kind of like you. A lot of us are being disobedient to you, and, but at least I'm here and my friends are here and we go down to the temple and we celebrate you. But I know there's a lot of people who don't, but at least we're here and, and now you're going to use them. None of them like you. 
They're against you, in fact. How, how can you use them to punish us? And he uses this fishing analogy that I think is a, a pretty good analogy. He's like, they're the fishermen and we're the fish. It's not a good fight, right? I mean, they're, they're winning and here we are and we're just innocent and we're swimming around and they're just throwing in their nets and they're attacking us and you come down and say, here's my great plan. I mean, this is my plan. I'm gonna just use them to fix the injustice in our country. It doesn't make sense. Then Habakkuk says this in 2.1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Apparently Habakkuk has a place, and we can learn from this, where he just goes to wait upon God. And I don't think we have that in us very much today. And even if you're a strong Christian, a God-loving person, I think that oftentimes we just kind of say, hey God, I don't get it. But uh, whatever. But Habakkuk says, here's my complaint. You're going to bring that which is more evil on that which is less evil and use them to punish us. That's, that's, that's dumb. I don't like it. And, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go up in this high place, whatever his high place was, and I'm going to stay there until you answer me. And thankfully for us, God answers in Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3, it says, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. One author said this about that section right there. What is contained in, in the answer from God is one of the greatest messages of the Old Testament religion. The message, message was of such importance that he felt the divine impulse to write it succinctly and plainly upon tablets such as were used for the writing down of a, of a prophetic message. And it was to be written in large characters so that the runner could read it without stopping. You see, there was a runner who would take this message that, that Habakkuk is about to receive from God and write down, and he would run from town to town in order to share this with God's people. And then couldn't send an email, couldn't post it on Facebook, and so you had this runner guy. He was the original Facebook, and so he's the social media plan, and he, he goes and he runs from one place to another. And, and it's such an important message. This is what God is saying to Habakkuk. This is such an important message that I am about to give to you that I want you to write it down in big letters, easy to see, so this guy doesn't ever have to stop. He can just keep running and keep reading and get on with it. That's how important this message is for the people that love me. And he gives this big, long answer, and the answer is basically twofold. It's basically to say, he who is not upright in him shall fail, and then this part in 2-4, this is the most important part, this is the most important line in the whole book, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. God looks at Habakkuk and says, look, I know it doesn't seem fair. I know it doesn't seem like I'm paying attention. I know it doesn't seem right to you, but here's what I want you to know. The righteous person will live by faith. And those who are not an upright in me will be destroyed. They will fail. He goes on to give this kind of series of woes, like 
Woe are the Babylonians because, and woe are the Babylonians because. And he lists these five things that I think are really at the heart of what we call unfair. Like the people who do these things are oftentimes, uh, are oftentimes seemingly rewarded for what they're doing. He says, woe to the Babylonians because of their aggression. We look at people who are more aggressive and we say, well, God says to be humble in spirit, but that just seems to get you kicked over in this life. You just become somebody's punching bag if you're not aggressive. And why is it that being aggressive seems to make you succeed? And God says, woe to the Babylonians for their aggression. And he says, woe to the Babylonians for their self-assertion. Same right, Jesus says the first will be last and the last shall be the first. And, and we go, well, that doesn't make sense in our world today because it seems like the first is the first and the last is the last. And so here's my plan. It just seems like it would work better if I just try to make myself first. God says, woe to the Babylonians because of their self-assertion. And then woe to the Babylonians because of their violence. I mean, they're looking at these people and they're like, these are the violent people. And, and we do this and we go, man, it seems like if you're just a little violent, that at least you're seen as a tough person. And nations that, that are a little bit violent, they, they move forward and they, they seem to gain more territory and be more successful. It doesn't seem fair. God says, woe to the Babylonians for their violence. And woe to the Babylonians for their inhumanity. And don't we struggle with that? Don't we look around and go, wow, people just don't seem to care about others and then they move forward. I mean, I care. I give money to my church because I care about people and, and that seems to just make me have less money at the end of the month. But there's others who will just push people down and hurt people just to gain and move forward and they seem to be moving forward. God says, woe to the Babylonians for their inhumanity and woe to the Babylonians for their idolatry. And for us who are Christians, don't we go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I serve God, why aren't I successful? Why aren't I moving forward? And these people who don't serve God at all and don't care about God, it seems like God's blessing them, but not me. And God looks down and he says, Habakkuk, I know you can't see it. I know you can't feel it. I know it seems unfair, but what you need to know is that he who is not upright in me will ultimately fail. Will ultimately fail. I'll just ask this question. Can you point to Babylon on a map today? I mean, God has not proved wrong in this. The Babylonian empire seemed unbeatable, just like the Assyrians before them and the Egyptians before them and the Babylonians kind of in there again. They all seemed unbeatable. They would never be defeated. They would never stop having power over the Israelite nation. Every time God says, they're gonna be destroyed, they're gonna be defeated, woe is them because of their injustice. He's proved right. And then this other line on the positive side, I'll just repeat it again because it's important. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And when we get to the New Testament, the New Testament writers just grab a hold of this passage and they say, hey guys, we can fully understand what God is talking about now. We can fully understand what God was trying to reveal to us when he said the righteous will live by their faithfulness or by their faith. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see, as Christians, we believe that we have eternal life. 
And we have that eternal life, not because of something we've done, not because life is fair, not because we're better than other people, but because we have placed our faith in Jesus. And we haven't just placed our faith in a guy named Jesus for no reason. We placed our faith in him because we believe that he died according to scripture and then rose again to remove our sins. And we as Christians look at Jesus and we go, there was no other way out of my sin except for you paid the price for my sin when you died the worst death on the cross that the world has ever known physically and emotionally and spiritually. And Paul says, it's not about who you are or what you've done. You'll live by simply placing your faith in Jesus. Galatians 3.11. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Paul there is just saying, hey, look, you need to understand this, that nobody's ever followed the law perfectly. And so really, if we're talking about fair and unfair, uh, the fair thing is for God to really punish and destroy us all. Nobody ever fulfilled the law perfectly. Nobody ever did everything that God told them to do. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in the Bible, you know that you've done things that you regret and were wrong and you shouldn't have done. And Paul in the book of Galatians is just saying, here's the deal, guys. The fair thing is for all of us to be punished. But Jesus came so that the unfair thing can happen. Every person can be blessed. Every person can have eternal life. The world is not fair, but every person can live. Every person can be righteous if they place their faith in Jesus. And then in Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. What the writer of Hebrews is saying to us is that this is the battle cry of Christians from now until eternity. The battle cry of Christians is that no matter if you kill me for my faith, I will live by my faith because I am righteous in Jesus. You can take this body, you can kill this body, you can do whatever you want, but I have been made righteous through my faith in Jesus. And so no matter what, I will not shrink back, but I will press on. I will push forward living for Jesus and serving Jesus and telling others about Jesus. You see what the unfairness of the world wants us to make us do? What happens because of the injustice that we see is that we sometimes shrink back from our faith. Habakkuk had that choice. He could have said, well... The unrighteous are really succeeding, so why don't I just shrink back from being righteous and I'll just live a little unrighteously and a little more quietly and I'll stop this prophet thing because that's just getting me in trouble. And that's what we want to do. But God shows up and he says to Habakkuk and he repeats in the New Testament, here's the deal. You don't have to shrink back because no matter what happens in this life, unfairly I've chosen to allow you to be blessed for eternity, to have a different life, a better life, a new life. You see, we all have moments where we are like the Babylonians. We all have moments of aggression and self-assertion and violence, maybe, and humanity and idolatry. But Jesus came to die for the sins of every person so that every person can be blessed by God and have eternal life instead of the wretchedness that we face on this earth. Habakkuk is complaining that the nations weren't being punished. And God says, I will punish this unrighteousness, but I'll do it through a horrible nation. And Habakkuk again says, that's not fair. And then God says, hey, here's the deal. The righteous will live by faith and the unrighteous will ultimately not survive. And you may not be able to see it. You may not even see it in your lifetime, but I guarantee you it's going to happen. 
That's the crazy part. If you think about Habakkuk, he gets this prophecy. Because we go, well, the future, how can that, how can that answer this question? Because I want fairness now. Habakkuk was not going to live to see these things fulfilled that God is giving him in this answer. We don't know how old Habakkuk is, but he's not going to survive to see the Babylonian Empire completely destroyed. But God has proved right because there is no Babylon and because Jesus came so that the righteous may live forever by faith. God kind of drops the mic in Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You may not get it, but accept the answer. Habakkuk is up there wagging his fingers. God, you give me this answer. And God gives it and says, look, you may not get it, but that's the answer. The righteous will live by faith. And those who are not upright in me will ultimately be destroyed. And Habakkuk opens up in prayer. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in your own day, in your own time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Shaginioth is a term of music. And so what Habakkuk does is he just praises God. And I think it's cool that he sets up this, this praise of God in really two ways. He sets it up by saying, God, I know what you have done and I have heard about your deeds and I have understood your fame. And God, the other setup, I want you to remember mercy in the midst of your wrath. And I think that we would do well when we feel pessimistic, when we feel hopeless and we look around and we go, there's injustice, there's injustice, there's injustice, to follow Habakkuk. Because sometimes, isn't it just a little bit hard just to go, okay, ultimately the righteous will live by faith and if I have placed my faith in Jesus, then I will have eternal life and ultimately those who are not upright in God will, will be destroyed and will, will be no more. It's hard to do that, but I think one of the easier things for us to do is to go, wait a minute, look what God has done. And then just to ask God, hey, in the midst of it, please, in the midst of your wrath, in the midst of what you're doing on this earth, please just remember mercy and pour it out upon me. You see, we look back upon God. And if we're Christians, we look back and we, we have moments where God has done incredible things in us. That first moment where, where God has, has saved us and we become Christians and we, we understand and feel the forgiveness of our sins for the first time and it's an incredible moment and a powerful moment for a lot of us look back on that or the times when you put up hang loose on Sunday mornings and you're going God did something specific at some point life is going to seem really unfair look back on to whatever made you put your hand up this morning in that hang loose and go yeah God you've done this I remember what you've done I remember that you care I remember that you're paying attention I remember that you're working in my life and then go but hey God it just seems really unfair right now and so in the midst of it, I just pray, please, just offer me your mercy. Just do something nice for me. Not because I deserve it, but because you are a merciful God. The new Bible companion said, God's holiness is not diminished by his working, his will through good and evil alike. On the one hand, it may appear that God is not doing anything about evil. On the other hand, Habakkuk encourages his readers to believe that God in his own way and in his own time is doing something about evil. 
and that we must persist in our hope and faithful obedience. Even in the midst of injustice, God is looking out for those who trust in him, helping them to bear the pain and come out purified. That's the reality that I want you to understand today. While you may not understand what God is doing and why he allows for one person to get cancer and for another person not to get cancer and for one person's spouse to leave him and another person's spouse not to leave him. While you may not understand that, you must understand through the book of Habakkuk that God notices, that God is working, and that ultimately if you live by faith, you will be blessed in eternity. Will you pray with me? Lord, I find wonderful hope in this passage that the unfairness of the world is not ultimately you being unjust, unjust, God. It's ultimately us not understanding what you are doing and your plans and your future on this planet, Lord. Um, God, I pray for those that, that sit out in front of me or behind me in the band and, and those who will listen online. God, I pray uh, for those who just feel like everything is unfair right now. It's just injustice is all around them and they just can't understand it. I pray that they would find hope in knowing, God, that you are paying attention and that you do care. And I pray that they would find hope, Lord, in knowing that that unrighteousness will ultimately not prevail, God, and, and that faith will, faith in you will. And I pray, God, that they would find hope in, in looking back on the work that you have done in their life. And if they're not Christians, I pray that they would find hope in accepting you as their savior. And God, I pray that they would find hope in, in you being a merciful, loving, caring, gracious, good God who is looking down and in the midst of punishment still offering your grace and your mercy. I pray that every person here, God, and every person who will listen online would know, Lord, how wonderful your grace is and they would accept the gift of the cross, your death and resurrection for the sins of us, for all of the moments when we are violent and greedy and mean and inhumane and arrogant, Lord. You died for all of it and I want every person, every person to know how wonderful of a gift that is and to place their faith in you receiving righteousness and finding life, Lord. Lord, you are good. We just declare that. We declare that you are everlasting and you are good even in the midst of all the unfairness that we see. Thank you for that. Thank you for answering Habakkuk's question so that we may have an answer in our lives today. In your holy name, amen.